This is Purple Radio On Demand. Hello and welcome back to the Beyond the Tri-Line podcast. Today we have another brilliant guest, Nate Gladden of the uh, Rugby League in America podcast. How are you doing, Nate? Yeah, I'm well, man. Thank you for having me. Anytime. Um, so, Nate, I think the first obvious question to ask is how you got into Rugby League. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so when I, the, the way I got into it actually was military service, right? So Air Force. Uh, so being over, being deployed... Uh, over there, it happened to be, um, and, and I knew rugby union first because obviously, like rugby union is pretty typical here in America, that kind of thing. Um, but uh, but I was overseas, saw a guy in a shirt. Uh, at, it was the same logo as the shirt that from the high school I went to where I played football. Yeah. Asked him if he played football, if he went to that school. His accent told me he didn't, uh, and so we started talking. Uh, and he kept talking about footy. So he was Australian. He kept talking about footy. So I didn't even really know what we were getting into at first. But uh, he started telling me about this team, about the sport, and and uh, I was like, "Can I run around with you guys?" He said, "Sure, sounds good." So I went out, started running around, and they were letting me basically be the you know the the equivalent of a you know or be the hooker equivalent of a scrum half kind of concept because I knew that when they were just letting me pass the ball around. Uh, first time I picked it up to run, one of them buried me. Uh, by my throat into the ground because uh, there were more <laughs> Aussies than there were uh, Kiwis or Brits. So we were playing, yeah. we were playing via the rugby league rules. And uh, so I was like, all right, this sport is great. So funny enough, when I got home, I kept searching footy and like Australian rules came, kept coming up. Cause this was years ago. So it's not yeah. like we had access to everything like we do now. And I kept looking, I was like, this doesn't seem what this is. This doesn't seem right. Cause he kept calling it footy over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And finally I like, I, eventually I like, I stumbled across and I was like, Oh, it was rugby league. Okay, got it. And it was just, they were just calling it footy because they were Aussies. So, uh, so yeah, so that's kind of the backstory on how I got into it. Yeah, with you talk, you're clearly kind of fallen in love with rugby league. What do you think rugby league has, especially that rugby union doesn't have? Uh, so much of it is the speed, right? Like it's the mm. speed and it's the, like it's a certain tenacity that actually makes sense. So it's funny because I've, I played rugby, right? Uh, rugby union and I coached rugby union at the college level as well. And then I, you know, played men's league and stuff like that, but I played college. I mean, uh, I coached college rugby uh, and it was, it, it, it's, you know, it's fun in the sense of like, that's what, you know, if you have rugby, you know, I, I like all versions of rugby, but if you have yeah. rugby, that's what you're going to play and that's what you're going to do. Uh, but rugby league, we have it, you know, some, some of the places, but the first time I got to run around on the rugby league field, first time I saw a game, first time I saw a game live, everything, it's just so much faster, so much, so much more fun. Right. Um, and I think one of the big misconceptions was, or that I had going in was, oh, there's not much strategy. It's just, you yeah. get the ball and you run. And then as I started to watch it more, I realized, no, 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 there's strategy to this. They can move the ball around. They can move the field, move it in different positions and places. And it started to actually kind of grasp. Once I, once I started to really see those little things like that, and I was like, does it even compare? So, uh, so it's, just, it's just so much more fast and fun. Yeah, and with that, do you see rugby league as – I know obviously you're probably quite an optimist like we are. Uh, do you yeah. genuinely see rugby league as having the potential to really expand? I definitely think it does. I think, uh, uh, and I think we all know this, as long as rugby league doesn't get in the way of rugby league, yeah. it actually can expand, right? So it's, the, you know, but as far as can it expand? Absolutely. Has it expanded? Absolutely. Um, you know, you think about this country, it started on the East Coast, right? Started in the, that New York, Philadelphia area. So actually where I'm at is Princeton, New Jersey. So I'm dead smack in between mm-hmm. pretty much where it started, uh, between New York and Philadelphia. And uh, then the game slowly grew, you know, uh, some Aussies and Brits and everybody else, they kind of migrated down into Florida, 
that sort of got the game a little bit of exposure, started to grow along from Boston and down into Virginia, and it started to grow slowly. And then what's also happened is some of those guys that played in that league, you know, whether they be from overseas or wherever, they've then moved. So now California Rugby League that, you know, Tom Stevenson moved out there, Matt Walsh moved out there. They kind of took the sport out there and started to get on with guys there, trying to get it going in Vermont, which would be, you know, a portion of it, Chicago. So it has the ability to be an expansion game everywhere, really. I mean, you see it happening all around the world. It's, it's fantastic. And I think the biggest, the, the biggest thing is as long as, you know, the rugby league doesn't get in the way of its own self, it yeah. can grow. And, and do, with that, do you see rugby league in America anyway, having the ability to surpass rugby union as the dominant rugby? Yes. And yes. And, and delayed. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, Yes, in the sense of once you play rugby league. Now that said, there's a lot of guys that are built like props, and they're never going to want to run around like the you know the big guys. <laughs> so there's there's a place for both sports, right? Yeah, and yeah. that's the joy of America is it's so big you can play. You can I mean it's just so many people you can play, and it doesn't get in the way of the other one. That's where that's why I say like, as long as they don't get rugby league doesn't get in the way of itself. It doesn't have to think of itself as competing with rugby union in America because yeah. there's almost 400 million people here. You just have to find your niche and build into it. Now, the, yes, it can be uh, as desired to play or more and everything else is rugby union. The biggest thing where people get confused is like, oh, well, it's not as big. Well, rugby had like 80 years of a head start here, mm -hmm. right? So because it kind of got into the colleges and the one little area, and then it spread and then it spread a little bit more and everything else, it's had more time to grow, right? We've had people that have played in college that then played in men's league that then had kids and then their kids grew up and now they're playing. So they just had more, more time to develop. Right. So it's like, uh, you know, rugby, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, American football, if American football came into, I, I don't even know a country, but let's just say with the Cameroon right now, it wouldn't be as big as soccer would be in, you know, in Cameroon, right. Or football, as you would call it, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be that size, but if they gave enough resources and they gave enough training and they gave enough exposure and stuff like that, they could really build a niche area in Cameroon that played American football. Like it's, but it would take a long time to get to where other people would uh, take notice. Definitely. Um, you mentioned just now, um, American football and I have to say I'm a massive fan of the sport the marketing behind it the whole idea of the the draft NBA either NFL or NBA and I wanted to ask for rugby league do you think that it needs that sort of Americanizing way that they see sports and the way they kind of introduce it to people's lives and almost embedded in their culture they do if they want it to be successful here yeah right so like the way that uh, you know the way that rugby league so it's funny because I, 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 I so love talking to people like yourself, people from all over the world that love rugby league and the way that they grew up. Right. So it's interesting. Like I'm wearing, like I throw my Boston 13 stuff. I was like, I wear that. And then I got on a Hunslet, you know, scarf around my neck. Right. Because oh, wow. Huns, yeah, Hunslet's the home of Lucius Br uh, Banks, the first ever American to ever play any version of rugby. And he played rugby league. Oh, wow. um, and so that was our first ever player, you know? And then I don't know if this will make you guys happy, but I have my Wigan hat right here, right? Because no, 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 sent no. me a Wigan hat. So uh, they've actually been really good about sending me some stuff. So it's been pretty cool. So, but um, so I love hearing how people got into the game, where they were raised in the game, the culture, the local club, you know, that then builds into the bigger club and then builds into the bigger clubs and stuff like that, right? But we don't have that here. But America doesn't typically do that. We do have college sports and I'm a big college football fan, right? So we do have that kind of stuff that has certain regional stuff, 
but guys are used to once they graduate high school, they move on. Right. So you can't kind of build to that local community sport and community team as easily as you can in other countries, right? It's just so massive. But what we love in America is big. We love, we love a lot of stuff, right? So we love the marketing. We love the pizzazz of it. We love those different things. We love our drafts. We love, you know, all these different, you know, all the different additions and, and, and things you can add to it and the scouting and all of that. So if we want the game of rugby league to be successful here, we need the game to be raised, bred, marketed, uh, players to play an American way. Right. And I genuinely believe if, if the rest of the rugby league world wants the game to succeed here, they need to let it be done this way, not the way they want it to do in their country. The way that the game is built in England will not work here on a grand scale. The way the game is built in Australia will not work here on a grand scale. But I also believe the way that we do things here would not work on a grand scale over there. Like yep. I just, I just don't think they would work. There's no, you said American football, like there's no connection from grassroots in American football over in England. So you guys are going to see the game and you get to pick a team from wherever and then you get to follow them and you get to enjoy it and you can really love the game and all the details of it, but it doesn't have that thing. So you'll never have that connection right mm -hmm. to that piece. So it's the same, same concept, right? Or at least in my mind it is. Yeah, and, and with that following on, do you think then when it comes to rugby league growing in America, it needs to be grassroots or do you think there needs to be, if it wants to be genuinely successful, somehow played in college or high school? So I do think a little bit of all of it, right? So I think there's a, I think it's kind of one of those things where we have, so like I said, I'm wearing the Boston 13's top. So there's a team in Boston, there's a team in Jacksonville and there's a team in Southwest Florida. Um, Mike Brogan, who, you know, is a St. Helens guy. He, uh, he lives down there and he's coaching the, uh, the uh, Lakeland Renegades now. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a team in Atlanta. We have teams all over the East coast. Right. And so those teams can continue to build grassroots versions, right? Those teams can continue to build inside the local league. We have the USARL. They can continue to grow. They could, if they can continue to get more fans and they can maybe build another, the local clubs, they could have youth teams and things like that. At the same time, you have uh, New York that wants to, uh, that wants to come in and put in a team. Right. Uh, and then obviously we also have them in Toronto, but New York wants to come in. They want to try to have a team. Okay. They can go that route as well because Ameri for Americans as a whole to get involved, you have to give them some form of professional something, right? Yeah. Or you have to put the flag around, like flag on them. As a whole, we prefer the red, white, and blue or professional sport when it comes to that. Then at the same time, I, I believe the college thing, I did a, a podcast on this like two years ago, and I said one of the big things would be uh, a, a very simple thing would either be one, focus on like junior colleges or focus on uh, the uh, – uh, the uh, black black colleges, right? So that we have a national collegiate uh, black university, you know, the uh, NABC, but we have that for the United States. And I've said that really they could kind of make their own way and go because a lot of the teams in the South happen to also be around these colleges. Mm -hmm. So it kind of work out well for the, you know, the HSBC, the, sorry, the historically uh, uh, black colleges of America, those universities are kind of around those Southern clubs. So they could really build and have like a college program. Uh, you know, if they were to build that way and go, Hey, we can, you can grow up and play the game, whether it's touch rugby or whatever the case may be growing up. Uh, and then, or nines version or whatever in high school ages, we could teach that you could get into college and play the sport. And then you can also go play for these local teams. So it kind of could build some pipelines. Mm -hmm. So I think you have to be creative, but you could get in there that way as well. 
Um, do you think that talking about um, kind of, uh, whether the space in the American market in the sense of you think about all the New York teams, just for example, just the NFL, you've got two teams sharing a stadium. You move to the NBA in LA, you've got the Lakers and the Clippers also sharing a stadium. How do you think, um, and, if, and do you think there's actually going to be enough space for the for rugby league to grow? Yeah, there's plenty of space to grow because you have to think of it, or in my opinion, you have to think of it from the standpoint of you don't need much of a fraction of the population to be interested in your sport to actually make a net, right? Again, we're so yeah. big and right? we have so many people. You're talking, I want to say probably in, if I were guessing, and I'm guessing, but if I were guessing in the New York City area alone, there's probably between 40 and 50,000 people that are from Australia and England. I'm going to guess they're probably that, right? Of that amount of people on the Australian side, probably have a rather decent amount that grew up on the game of footy, right? Uh, and then a decent, you know, somewhat of a decent amount of people that may have grown up in England that also would be involved in that. So just in that area, you have it, right? So if you can get a passionate group of them, plus the locals, and you can start to teach and tell somebody else about it, and you show the local kid a game and you just explain them the rules real fast, you can start to build a pretty decent following inside of there. Mm -hmm. And if you look at attendance, you know, from a rugby league perspective, we could get to that rel relatively quickly at the professional level. Um, but I think a big portion of that also is where do you build it, right? And then how do you build it? So I think if you're trying to go professional, and I'm thinking from that standpoint, you almost have to wedge into a small area and treat it as if it's semi-professional and build it in one little kind of a hub, you know, like the South, like let's take Florida, for instance, there's like, there's, there's multiple teams down in Florida plus Atlanta. So mm -hmm. if, if just that group focused on, and I'm not saying for them to like not play with the teams in the North, but in general, if those teams said, Hey, we're going to be semi-professional, we're going to build, but we're going to play these teams constantly. And they were, they decided they were going to be some form of professional. When they played over and over and over, Tampa playing against Lakeland and Lakeland playing against Jacksonville and Jacksonville playing against Atlanta. And they just kept focusing on that and they kept building and they started marketing themselves as professional teams and a professional sport. People would start to pay attention to that in that way, right? And they could start to market it that way. Uh, but trying to expand across America as a professionally, I think that's probably one of the worst things that anybody can do, right? Like I, the MLS succeeded because they had a ridiculous amount of money and they, but they centralized it and kept it close in from a soccer perspective. But they also, a lot of teams faltered, like a lot of teams faltered that weren't in real true places that were ready for the game of soccer. So they had to really be smart about where they put their teams and start small with not that many and make sure that they were good routes of travel for flying and things like that. Yeah, definitely got to agree. Just moving away from kind of the direct expansion conversation for a minute, which I'm sure we'll get back to, how disappointing do you think it is and how much of a blow to North American Rugby League that neither the USA or Canada are going to be represented at the Men's World Cup next year? It's a bummer. So I will say this. I'll go ahead and give a shameless plug for the fact that I do love that our wheelchair team will be there. Yeah. Uh, so I am pumped about that. I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, Juan Hasso is uh, going to be one of the team managers. A lot of the different people that could be involved that could be really good. Uh, so I'm pumped about that. I'll be really honest and say that it is a massive bummer. Uh, that we don't have our guys in. And I do think it is, uh, I think, and I've said this, I said this before, whenever we got eliminated by the Cook Islands, I said it somewhere around then. And I've, and I've mentioned to people before, this could be, if we choose to let it be the best thing that happened, but we 100% have to admit that we took a step back. 
We have to admit it. We have to look at everything. We have to, uh, and this shouldn't come as a shock. We should look at our administrative side and every single person that has got their uh, name written on the administrative side, they should be looked at. They should be figuring it out themselves, whether they should be a part of it and then moving forward or replacing themselves with somebody better. Coaching staff has to do it. Players have to do it. You know, uh, everybody, every single person that stepped on the field that day or that coached, uh, all the fans, everything, like everybody's a part of it, right? They have to figure out the best way forward. But I think a lot of it, we have to get back to, um, and, and I understand why we, we brought in a ton of guys uh, that, and I've heard uh, like Christian Freed's one of our guys who's been playing for a long time for the Hawks. He's an uh, American heritage player whose father's originally from America and then uh, he grew up over in Australia. And he said it like their intention was to qualify for this World Cup and then step away and then a lot more of the younger guys come in, right? And I think what we didn't have, we didn't get enough guys from 2013 to 2017 developed in a proper way to where those guys who are a little bit older, they're not old, but they're old by international rugby league standards, right? That weren't able to make that next step, right? And we weren't able to administratively and financially build something to where we could get those guys together more to make them gel, right? So that's that's bad on the admin and, and you know and everything else. So, but it's a it's a real bummer, man. And we have got to be ready. Like I, the day after they lost, they should wake up and start talking about how they can go ahead and qualify for 2025. Like period down in the story. Definitely. I mean, do you think that kind of disregarding the heritage players, that there is enough quality, uh, enough talent in the American pool already or, or who actually play rugby league? Or do you think there still needs to be kind of gains made from maybe converting union players or sevens players or even American football players over within the next, you know, five years to get ready for that World Cup? Yeah, no, I think we have enough, we have enough talent uh, we have enough athleticism yep. to be able to compete with anybody in the world in any sport period. We just have too many people that we can't be athletically competitive. Right now that said experience on the field, skill level on the field, right? That's where the heritage players come in. I think and this is just me, but I genuinely believe we have to look at those. We have to look at the players we have now, but we also, because we don't have 2021, we have 2025. We need to be looking at players that are young, very, very young mm -hmm. that are like, Hey, you've been playing rugby league or we want to start recruiting rugby players that are college players or whatever that are 19 to 21 years old, that in 2025, they won't be that much older. They'll be in their mid twenties. They'll be peaking when it comes to athleticism and everything else. And then focusing on getting those guys some rugby league experience. So personally, I think where a big focus needs to be, and this is one of my own homework assignments I constantly give myself is finding guys that are interested in going and playing overseas mm -hmm. and going into England, going into Australia, going to, wherever, you know, and trying to develop their skills. If we can find those young guys, like there's a young guy called, um, his name is, uh, uh, it goes by Rico. So his name is Rico. So he was born and raised in Salt Lake City, Tongan descent, American, you know, American born and raised though, right? Played American football, but he moved over to Australia. Uh, I think his junior year of high school, maybe I think it was his junior year of high school. So he's now playing in the Sunshine Coast Falcons under 21 program, right? So that is an, he's playing, trying to play in the second row, right? So that is a, a young guy that's born and raised in our sport that is over there. 
that is a player. Now, again, I'm not in the administrative side, so but or the coaching staff, right? But that is a player that is now playing in a system over there. So I put him in contact with Christian Freed because they need to be talking to each other because this is a national team player with experience that knows what it's like to play national team level that needs to be talking to a kid who's like 18 years old now yeah. who can develop over the next couple of years and they can teach him. All that said, back to your talk about the Americans, we have to play an American style, right? Mm-hmm. We, need to, we need to have English coaches, Aussie coaches, Kiwi coaches that come in and teach us the game but they need to modify what they know to an American athletic style. Like how do we play sport? How do you talk to our players? How do we do this? How do we do that? Like, and then build based on those players athleticism. The thing we, I think we can do to make our style of the game is speed is just overall constant. Go, 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 do not stop like 80 minutes of all out absolute speed at the edges and you have to stop us. And you may be able to grind us down in the middle, but you have to stop our speed. Because that's the one thing that I think we can immediately match anybody in any like I haven't I have never watched a rugby league game and been so mesmerized by a player's speed that also looked big. But you can watch an American football game every single week in any level, and you will see a guy who looks gigantic running like a gazelle. Yeah. Right. Like, so that's our big advantage. I think we have, if we started coaching to that, it would really help. Um, no, I completely agree. And I was, I was just wondering if, would you say having the way your college system, which, which I think is fascinating, having D1 and the people that make it to the NFL, MLB, NBA, and then those D2 players that don't necessarily make it to the professional, would you think that it's good to make a use of those players that might have not made it to the first sport they wanted, but you have, even a D2 player is an amazing player. He'd be highest league here in university, utilize those skills and then introduce them to rugby league. 100%. So funny you say that, because I think that's really important. I've, I've actually done this with a couple of teams in Australia. So I've spoken to a couple of uh, people inside of organizations at the professional level, and I've actually done it over in England as well. I've had conversations via Zoom and things like that and, and phone calls and explained where they call and they ask our college system. And they always go the wrong way. They always say the same thing. Oh, so I watched the game between uh, UCLA and Arizona, or I watched the game between Notre Dame and Michigan, or I watched the game between Florida State and Miami. And this one guy, how, do you think we could get him? The answer is no, you cannot get him. You won't get him not because your sport is not great, not because your country is not great, not because of any of that, right? Those players have been exposed, and this is just a complete honest thing. One, those players are hunting the NFL, right? So until they give up that dream, it's going to be real hard to crack that nut, right? But the other side of that too is my high school, my high school football games 20-something years ago, high school football games at what would be considered average football in the state of Florida – easily had the amount of games that are at any rugby league game in America, right? Or, or in, in England, right? Any rugby league game in England, minus maybe like a Wiggins, St. Helens, you know, a Leeds game, like, at, like yeah. with a really big matchup. But minus that, they absolutely have that many people at all the games. So then those players who have a full medical staff, full athletic training facilities, all these things that are being hunted and courted by all these colleges, they go to that level and then they have everything. What do you need? You need a phone. Do you need five pairs of cleats? Do you need 10 helmets? Do you need all the swag? Do you need meals paid? Do you need a, they have it all. They have everything. And so when you're trying to compete with those, you're not going to, right? 
But if you are turning around and you're going to that D2, or like, for instance, where I live, Princeton University is right here, but you also have Ryder University, five minutes from me, New Jersey, the uh, College of New Jersey, five minutes from me, Rutgers is 35 minutes north of me, and then you have Rowan, which I believe is 35 minutes south of me. Those colleges, all of those colleges, Rutgers is a D1 school, so you could then go, okay, most of those kids, we can take them out, but you could pick off their rugby club. But the rest of them, none of those kids are pretty much, for the most part, are going to ever go D, or they're going to go pro football. Yeah. You could go to all of those all of those levels, walk in with, um, well, I'm wearing a Hunslet shirt, but whoever your team is, right? Whoever your professional team is, where you, your professional um, gear, have one of their scouts go in and go, right, we'd like to be able to pay to take you over, put you in you know, a, a, a flat, do these different things and train you from the age of 21 years old to come play this sport. A kid who knows he's not gonna go play professional sports ever again, he's yeah. gonna take that chance. He's going to do it. So that's the way they should be marketing it. And they should be doing it via, and I know these are long answers, but they, like, I think it's important for people to hear that stuff. But I think it's important also to then take somebody, and I say me because you're talking to me, but take John Doe from America, wherever, that understands American football, that understands players and understands positions because they understand American sports, right? So like I know what I would look for in a guy if I was going to try to make him a rugby league player, I wouldn't necessarily get a gigantic linebacker to play. Right. But I may get a guy who can play strong safety and cornerback. And he also can do kick returns. And he also happens to be on the punt team. And maybe he's the backup quarterback as an option guy, like these different people. And you can go, right. They're versatile. You can take them. They can learn lots of roles, lots of positioning, and you can move them around. And that's really, really important. And, and with that, do you think in a dream world that that would be done quite centrally by the Hawks, putting players in touch with overseas clubs? Or do you think this should be a, you know, the, cl- the clubs on the outside looking into America? So I think the wonderful answer would be that it would be the Hawks that would do that, right? But I almost feel like that would be kind of backwards than any, any sport really does it or anything else, right? I think the clubs themselves could do it. But then I also think, and I've, I've mentioned this before, I would love to do that, right? Like I, I talk to teams constantly and they're asking about players. Um, I'm going to be doing that later in the, in the week. I'm going to be looking at a couple players and then passing their information on to uh, a club somewhere. Right? And they're going to look at that person. They just want to know. But I think it's going to be a matter of a person stepping forward and starting to build that, right? Or yeah. it's going to be a club. Atlanta is trying to work with the Valencia Huracanes uh, down yeah. in Spain, right? Yeah. They're trying to work with them to build a pipeline where they can start trying to figure out how to funnel players through. If they can make that work, that is going to be – huge the first team that gets into the american culture and they build a pipeline to their professional and they have to spend money and they don't want to spend money but they need to spend money the first one that builds that pipeline they get ahead of all their competitors by a decade because they'll have built and done all the groundwork so like who's your who who are y'all's professional teams warrington wolves all right both of you no i would i would say toronto because i got into it when they came in that's how i got in Brilliant. There you go. See, so that's expansion right there. But so if you look at Toronto, Toronto, they have to focus on the Canadian market a little bit, obviously. Uh, so they could do that, but they could still build through Americans. But then if you look at Warrington, same thing, right? If Warrington turned around and they so I live in 
New Jersey. So if they said, okay, we're going to go to Princeton, New Jersey, and we're going to build out of that region, right? Uh, we're going to build in that area. So we have the Brooklyn Kings uh, slightly north and the White Plains Wombats and the Philadelphia Fight. Okay, we want to work with those clubs. So we're going to have an American scout, yep. like John Doe or myself or whoever, American scout that understands rugby league and can talk about the game and talk about clubs, but he's not the rugby league guru, right? He's going to be identifying players wearing our gear, working with one of our scouts that goes over and then spends like a couple of weeks with that player in those areas. But you pinpoint areas that you can then go, hey, in this upcoming season, you're going to play with the Brooklyn Kings, the White Plains Wombats, the Philadelphia Fight, and you're going to play with them. And after that season, when it gets done, always in August, we're going to bring you over in our preseason because you'll at least move the ball around and see the basics. We're going to put you in one of our club, you know, our small clubs. We're going to put you in that club and you're going to start working in that system. And they could build that pipeline that way. And then before you know it, Warrington would actually have like more ground than everybody else or Toronto. They'd have more, they'd have more. It'd take them a while, but once they got it, they'd be running. Definitely got to agree there. Just on the kind of a different topic, but I kind of got to me through talking about the positions, kind of transferable skills. Do you think that the most kind of problematic position for the Americans when it comes to rugby league would kind of be those halfbacks? Do you think that that requires more ingrained cultural rugby league? Yeah, I do. Uh, I really do. Um, I, having said that, I think the hooker role and the fullback role could be picked up, right? Yeah. I believe you could, I believe one of the ways, and, and I've, and this is just my personal opinion, the halves, like for instance, like let's take our national team. The national team, I would want the six and the seven to be a heritage player for a while, right? To be, to be able to do that. But if you had a heritage nine, six and seven, you could have the one be an American and playing that role. Like, like look at Ryan Burroughs. Ryan Burroughs did very, very well at fullback when he was overseas with Barrow Raiders and when he played with the London Scholars and he could play on the wing. Uh, but then this past year, in our system, well, not this year, but the one last year, he played uh, at the number six, right? Mm-hmm. And he had no problem with the number six because he played as a wing and a fullback inside of an actual rugby league system for a couple of years. So whenever he stepped into that role, he was able to process the game fast enough and understand it fast enough. But you could put one American uh, d- domestic player at a nine or a one and have those, have those halfbacks maneuver them around. In order to do the halfback thing, if it were me, Again, I'd be going in, I'd be finding that kid who was maybe 18 or 19 years old that's playing college rugby, that's playing as a fly half, right? Like I spent the majority of my time playing as a fly half and a scrum half, right? Um, And then when I got a little older and a little slower, I put on a couple extra pounds and I played hooker because I was like, I don't want to run far and I don't want to run fast. So, but I played scrum half and fly half, right? So I would understand uh, fly up, but I would take a guy whenever he was, when I was coaching, I would take a guy that was maybe a, a 18 years old a freshman in college. And I would not play him at that fly half position in a game, but he would practice in that fly half position for maybe two years before he ever played in it. But then once he stepped in, he was pretty comfortable and he was able to go. Right. So he would play in the games. He played fullback and he'd play on the wings because he could learn to study it during the game, but he would play fly half and practice as a, as a backup fly half. And so that way you just constantly build. So you could take that young guy, put him in the Warrington Wolves program, send him down to the lower ranks, let him learn to play fullback, let him learn to play hooker, move him into there. But that's the hardest piece for us. And that'll take heritage players being there probably for a while. And I don't think that's a bad thing for the mm-hmm. six and seven. 
And uh, again, taking a step back to the World Cup, does America show any coverage of the World Cup that you know of? So I don't know what all they'll have yet, just because I don't. I still, I'm still waiting to see what the actual Rugby League World Cup 2021 is going to offer over here. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure they're going to do like some kind of a thing where they can buy that. So like somebody like myself, I'll I'll buy it online, right? But as far as the game being streamed, I'm not aware of any kind of simple streaming unless they're planning on getting all of Fox Sports. It's funny, everybody blocks out America. It's the one place in the world you should not be blocking out. They shouldn't be geo-blocking everything, right? Like, I can't watch a game of rugby league in England unless I already know the score and it's come out on YouTube and somebody's put it out later, right? Uh I can't watch a game hardly at all because I'm not going to pay for Fox Soccer Plus so I can watch 700 games of soccer and maybe three games of rugby league, you know, and and one a week, maybe if I get the right timing, but if I miss it, then I won't see it again. And and so I won't, I don't do that. Right. But I listen to the games because I can listen to the Wigan games on, you know, Wish FM. So that's kind of cool. So I can listen to them play. Um, But I can't see a lot of games, but if you just took that geo block off and stream the games on YouTube or stream the games on Facebook only in America, um, you would do very, very well with people wanting to get involved. Yeah, I definitely think that's a misstep because in Britain, we're having it pretty much free to air on the BBC, the whole World Cup, which obviously is brilliant for domestic expansion in England, but obviously it needs to be further afield, and as you said, especially America. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree as well, especially when you talk about the the lack of being able to watch something. Um, So that's a problem for expansion, and um, that leads me to ask you whether what other problems do you see with the expansion trans- uh, transatlantically from the US to whether it's Europe or um, Southern Hemisphere? I mean, you know, the biggest thing they say is obviously the cost and obviously the travel and everything else when it comes to that. You know, I, I, I think when you get to a professional level, there's a certain amount of, uh, there's a certain amount of wear and tear on the body that's going to happen in things. Um, and, and you're going to get used to it, but that's also that quirky thing, right? So that's the part of the weird thing that doesn't make sense on this side of the pond that does over there is traveling up through league one into the championship in yeah. the super league. That doesn't make sense in our world. Right. So now that said Toronto, they had a ton of fans. Toronto's a little bit different because it's Canada. They have a different take on things, but you can still do really well. Right. But the average American, if they're, if a team's playing in league one, they won't know the difference in a league one player or a super league player, right? They won't know. They'll only know about their team. So it doesn't matter. However, if all of a sudden you tell them, well, if we do well here, then we get to move up to the next level. And then you get to move up to the next level. A lot of Americans be like, now some of them, the people that want to get involved, they'll stay with them from a a small group. But a lot of them will be like, okay, cool. Let me know when you're in the pros. I'll be back Mm -hmm. because that's how it'll be. Right. So you, my personal opinion, transatlantic works, but transatlantic only works if those teams are expansion teams that go directly into Super League and they, they stay there, right? I'm, I know that is so counter to the, uh, the culture of sport in, in England and a lot of the world. I, can, I completely respect it. I actually, I, it's one of the things I love about soccer over there, right? I love that you guys have that, yeah. but it's not the way you would do it. But if you did it over here, it wouldn't work. Like, it just so rugby league over here for it to hold it has to that team has to be guaranteed to be playing professional every year for people to stay interested mm-hmm. and it has to be that portion has to be fixed yeah definitely and kind of with that do you think 
obviously, you are, I don't imagine you're particularly privy to the inner finances of the Toronto Wolfpack. But do you think they can recover? I think they can. I think they can't do. Uh, I think they need to have. I think from a Super League standpoint or whatever, they need to have a guarantee assurance that they are going to main, maintain. They're not going to be booted out if something happens or whatever, right? So they're going to need guaranteed assurance that they're going to stay at a high level for multiple years. And I think as long as you have up and down and regulation, you know, or, you know, promotion relegation, it's kind of hard to do that. I think that's a big thing. Um, but then a lot of it too, is they have to have proper funding and they have to have a lot of people. So they, they need to have as many home games in Canada as absolutely humanly possible, right? Like they need to have that. So that way the Canadian uh, market can get behind it. Right. I kind of feel like, being trying to be as big over in Toronto and have all of that as they can, they're still going to get rugby league buy-in. They're going to get rugby league dollars and everything else. And those are hard to come by when you already have like the Warrington people are Warrington fans. They don't, yep. they don't have money to, you know, their, their sponsors aren't going to go away from Warrington to go to Toronto. That doesn't make sense. Right. But the more they play there, the more expand, more guaranteed to stay at that high level the more they're going to be able to tap into a North American market to be able to build more. And with success comes more attention, right? So every single time Toronto won a game, they got more people at their games. Like Toronto is a fantastic city and the Wolfpack had something going there. They had something really good and I couldn't help COVID, but they had something really, really good going there. They could have stayed up in super league a couple of years from now, they would have been easily moving to BMO. That's the soccer field where the Toronto uh, team plays. Like they could have easily moved over there and been playing at that stadium and filling it up. Yeah. And, and with that, do you think the Super League kicking them out effectively shows a bit of a lack of faith uh, from the Super League to expand? And with that as well, do you think it sets a almost potentially dangerous precedent for clubs like the Otto Races who have the plans to go in further? I think it definitely sets that precedent. I 100% do. Now, to be fair, which I I love rugby league. It's one thing we're not always, uh, as fans, that we're not necessarily fair to both sides, but I'll be fair to both sides. If I'm Super League, I'm looking at it as a bottom dollar, and I go, okay, I don't know what's going to happen in 2021 because of COVID, because of travel restrictions. I don't understand what's going to happen. We can't, we can't take this chance. We have to get rid of you. You're on the other side, right? But I almost think it could be in the sense of like, but we're doing this for one more year because we don't have a choice because mm-hmm. we just can't financially take this chance. Right. But it's a bummer, but you can come back in the next year. That's one way to look at it. And the other one is quite simple. You pretty much just guaranteed uh, that anybody that looks at expansion is going to look at this and be like, yeah, I don't trust those people. Like I don't trust their leadership and I don't trust that they won't just boot us out of things aren't going perfectly well for them. Yeah, and with that, just dead quick, do you think that for the Super League it requires an almost MLS-style structure with the it not being the clubs directly who make the decisions, but it being more the league itself as to be able to move it forward? I do. I do it first and you know, until they eventually they get to the point where they're sustaining clubs and they're able to do big things. But you do, like, you need somebody to come in. So, like, if somebody came in and the same amount of money that was spent on Toronto was spent on the USARL as a whole, the USARL would grow rather quickly. They would grow, they could grow pretty strong, you know, and they could, you know, they could do pretty well with, with that kind of thing, with that kind of a buy-in, right? All the clubs will go through one vendor and, uh, you know, all the, you know, one the clothing vendor, right? And, 
Uh, they'll all, you know, they'll all have a game, be a guaranteed game at noon and a guaranteed game at two and a guaranteed game at four or whatever. And you build certain structures in there. They, it wouldn't be that hard to build something sustainable, you know, and then of course, you know, to build it bigger takes more, but eventually you'd be able to kind of look at the club and go, right, this club is able to market themselves more than we can because they've, they, they've really got them, you know, they've got things going. Okay, cool. We'll let them handle a little bit more, but yeah, we have to start that way. It's, you know, you start centralized and then you try to get to the decentralized command, not to go too nerdy or too militaristic on you, but, but that's kind of that, like, you know, that decentralized command, eventually you want to be able to let that team run themselves and this team run themselves. That would be the ultimate goal, but 100% start with teaching them all and following basic rules and guidelines as a, as one whole. No, I, I completely agree with that. And I feel like we We've spoken so much about expansion. I, I really, I'd like to ask my, at least my last question is, if you were to have um, rugby league to expand in America or Canada, me and Rob have this idea of where we'd like to do it. And before we tell you, I mean, I kind of jumped on the bandwagon, so I'll let Rob explain this. But um, okay. where, what, what, what city would you say, if it starts here, I reckon it could actually, something real could happen there? So I think it would be regional, right? And so... It's tough. Um, Weather-wise, you can't get a whole lot better than the South, right? So the South can build. They can really build in Florida, Georgia, and the Carolinas. They can really build something down there. And rugby's pretty big down there. Then New York region, uh, again, you have to kind of drop a pin in New York and then draw a circle around it and go, okay, we want to go no further than Toronto, Chicago, Philadelphia, Boston, right? Like, uh, you know, Washington, D.C. So you can drop that pin and just do like that kind of thing, right? Um, if you were looking at out west, I think California and Utah could have something together, places like that, because they have a massive Polynesian culture and a massive expat culture. Texas, everybody talks about Texas. Texas can, Texas could do rugby league all by itself. Texas could do anything all by itself because it's Texas. Like they just, like they just put on a big cowboy hat and call it good uh, and keep going. But uh, I think the area that would, the area that would probably take off based on population and being able to build would be the Northeast like New York. Uh, I think athletics and weather wise, you would really do well to go to the South. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious to know what you guys have because I'd probably be able to like I like I'd probably I wouldn't disagree with you. There's probably yeah. really good valid points in all of it. Yeah, I mean I, I can't remember when I first came up with the idea, but it was Quebec City as a club okay. in the because I, when I was doing a bit of research into it, there's no professional sports teams there at all. Right. And they've got such a strong regional identity. If you give them kind of a club to channel that through, I don't see how a club, especially with a sport like rugby league, which is fun, can't be successful. I don't actually disagree with you. Uh, so the interesting that, so I would say if they were going to start a professional team, so I would mirror it off of hockey. Mm-hmm. If you're using Quebec city, I'd start with the big six, right? There were six teams originally, right? So I'd start with the big six. I'd have the Toronto Wolfpack. I'd have the Quebec, you know, the Quebec team. And then the Ottawa Aces are up there. So if you want to have them, right. But you could have those three, then you could have say New York, right? So you could have a New York team. Will you say Boston because I'm wearing the Boston hoodie? So a Boston team, and let's say Philadelphia because it's down the street from me. Or if you wanted to say, um, uh, let's say Chicago or whatever, uh, something like that. Um, Or if you want to say Cleveland because Monte Gaddis has tried to do stuff in Cleveland, so why not, right? So, but if you take that, you'd have to also then look at it and go, when do we play these sports? Right? It's too cold to play Quebec City and you know March on, so you'd have to pretty much kick season off in April and run the season April through into 
pretty much the beginning of our like, October timeframe, right? Once hockey's getting going, people are going to be like, okay, we got to go do some hockey things. So, but you could have a season that runs April through October and you could have a professional team. They could easily play in those windows, right? They could play friendlies overseas to try to build some kind of connection overseas, but they could play that. You could have those six teams traveling into very easy places to travel, not that far, not, not too expensive. Fans would be willing to travel back and forth to those cities. You could build that, but Quebec city would be a fantastic city in Canada to be able to take the game of rugby league to. Yeah, that's something we, we're definitely hoping for. Just I don't know when it was. I was talking to some of my uh, my my dad and his his friend, who his dad uh, was quite high up in rugby league, and it was just a chat we got going. And for some reason, I thought, yeah, Quebec that might be a good idea. But if you were, it would be a good area. Say you had full control over the expansion of rugby league in North America. Oh hey, boy, so you had a, t- a ten-year plan. <laughs> What's yeah. the plan? Well, first I'm gonna pour a big whiskey, right? So normally, <laughs> I do enjoy my uh, I do enjoy my whiskey, so I right. probably pour a rather uh, large whiskey and have to spend a lot of time thinking because I actually don't think that I have uh, all the answers. And I I, I think that I, I tell you the first thing I would do. The first thing is I'd go ahead and I'd be bringing on a staff, right? Oh, yeah. That's the first thing. First thing I'd do is I'd be humble enough to realize that I don't know it all. So I'd be like, okay, I need somebody that understands logistics. I need a, I need a marketing team. So I need somebody that understands marketing. I need somebody that speaks rugby league. I don't mean the technical on the field, but I need somebody that understands and speaks the game of rugby league so they can start to navigate me through the uh, normalcies of rugby league from that standpoint, right? Because yeah. uh, again, the American style, we don't need to go through all these crazy things we're going through. We, we need to just get after it, right? Let's light something on fire and try to outrun it. Let's go. Like, that's just kind of, we can do it that way, right? So, but that would be one of the things. But the big thing I would do is I would build that pipeline, right? So I would, I would be, if I were in charge kind of thing, I would be focused on, I basically say, hey, look, our heritage players that we have had in that mix for the last couple of years, we are going to roll hard with them to be the ones to move us forward. Uh, but we are going to really, really put that from a team perspective, them in charge of, as we identify these players, we really need you to be communicating with them, right? To teach them those little nuances. And then I want to try to find players, pipeline players that can go out. And if we can identify a pool of like 10 of those guys, we can get, then go, okay, cool. These are the ones we're going to go heavy with there. Plus then again, the USARL, we are going to pull a certain amount from this net onto our national team. No matter what, we will always have X amount of players that are born and bred domestic Americans that we playing in the national team. Yep. It will be this number and you will, you will be pooling from that. So it kind of immediately gives them a pipeline. Everything's built on pipelines and, and pathways. Everything would be built on pathways, right? I want, I want to be able to try to try my hand in professional rugby league. We don't have it in America. So we're going to have a pathway over to England. We're going to have a pathway over to Australia. Okay, cool. I want to play on the national team. Well, we have a pathway. It's our teams that we play in the USARL or you go into one of those other ones over there, right? Those kind of things. I, we also need funding. So I'd be focused heavily on funding. That would be that marketing and logistics, that business side of things. And I would absolutely run it in the American way. And that's it. And then I would pick a home, all of our teams, all of our home games for the national team would be played here. And we'll always be doing this. We'll be traveling here. We, everything would be laid out multiple years in advance because that's the other thing i wouldn't be trying to do i tease when i say light it on fire and we'll figure it out there's a certain amount of go 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 but it would there would be a long term like here is what we are trying to be by 2025 
here's what we were trying to be by 2029. And I would gauge it off of those world cups because we just, every four years, it's nice markers and we just build. We're not trying to build a professional league over here or anything else. We're trying to build a pipeline that we can put a team on the field and be competitive at world cups and players that can go. Because if I can get a player from Princeton university or Princeton, New Jersey, let's just say New Jersey from the local high school or whatever. Right. If I can get a kid from Princeton, New Jersey to go play for the, Warrington Wolves, right? And let's say that kid five years from now cracks the starting lineup one time. Everybody from his high school and everybody he knows is paying attention, which means just like that, Warrington Wolves, they just, they just had people buy their jerseys, buy their hoodies, buy their scarves, buy their hats. People are paying attention. And some other guys, like, I want that same thing. So now that recruiter and that pipeline and everything else is working to funnel more players it's you just you're you're looking for the diamond in the rough you just keep going until you find them and you just keep going and keep going and keep going and that's i'd build those pipelines and pathways well that's been an incredibly fascinating chat nat uh nate thanks for coming on i think that's given me especially me a lot to think about when it comes to expansion so uh thanks for coming on yeah no i appreciate it man i'm I'm humbled that you guys had me on and i'm uh i'm I'm amped to see what happens with you guys Thanks for downloading this Purple Radio podcast. For more great content and to listen live, head to purpleradio.co.uk.